Welcome to the Super Sentai Buddies. This is episode three of You Only Live Man Twice, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Live Man. Uh, I know I'm supposed to say the something Sentai Live Man, but I forgot what it was because we don't do this that often. Um, every week that we do this thing, um, I and Mark watch an episode of this show. We share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name, of course, is Matt J. With me, as always, on these is my co-host and buddy, Mark. Mark, how are you doing today? I am doing all right, man. We are we are now one day removed from me having finished my family's taxes, and there's always, and I'm okay with taxes. I, I get them, but there's always that kind of looming sense of existential dread that accompanies them regardless. Oh, yeah. No, taxes are... <laughs> Taxes cause me a undeniable and unending amount of like existential horror. Right. And they're never even that bad. Like I had a bad taxes year one year because I was living and working abroad for part of that year. Right. And then I came back and got two jobs. So it was just a nightmare. And ever since then, tax season just really throws me off my game. See, this was I... my bad year. So I have... For the first 11 years of my professional life, I worked for the same corporation, mm-hmm. and it's a government entity, so they were very good at, at getting my taxes correct on my out of my payroll, so I never really oh, had to I'm sweat sure. taxes. Uh, this year, for a bunch of reasons, I had, this is not a joke uh, or a gag, I had W-2s from five different companies this year. <laughs> In two different states. I lived in two states. My wife owned a small business. I both sold and bought a house this year. (laughs) So I was just living in paranoid fear of my taxes and finally forced myself to confront them just so I could stop living in that fear. Well, good for you. Uh, We are not even (laughs) into the part of the year that I think of as tax season because (laughs) the idea of doing my taxes in February, frankly, has never occurred to me. (laughs) Um, so yes, we are here. We are watching Live Man. Uh, Dave was uh, suddenly unavailable this week, so Mark offered to step in, uh, which we always appreciate. Not only because I appreciate his time and contributions, but also because it is very fun to do these. Yeah, it is. And with any luck, we will be uh, recording this and going live with the episode in about three hours. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, we are watching episode three of Live Man today. Uh, it is called Oblar's Devilish Transformation. But Mark, before we get into that, we have our officially award-winning opening segment. Shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? This might be the most obvious of stars, but first star this week is the Olympics. Yes, there are five. Shining in the heavens, there are five Olympic rings this yeah. week. <laughs> I love the Olympics I have since I was a kid unapologetically I, they're just they're really fun yeah they're they're good guys the Olympics are very good and they're finally easy to watch this year yeah boy it's we about complained time. about it last week because they hadn't started yet and we didn't know how easy it was going to be now I, I still think if you do not subscribe to some manner of television package 
mm-hmm. NBC is still making it a bit of a pain. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but at it, least it's it all now... out there and streaming online now. Yeah, and it's a lot easier, I think, to just, like, pay Hulu or pay, like, the Sony PlayStation yeah. cable, like, package to be able to do it. Yeah, you can basically uh, buy, like, a two week, two weeks worth of streaming service. And that's a lot cheaper than paying for, you know, a year worth of cable. Yeah. Now, this is what's really exciting about this, is that now that everything is done sort of on demand and streaming, there are entire events that prior to the advent of this sort of watching the Olympics, I knew existed, but you would never actually see them, right? Yeah. Unless you stayed up until like two in the morning and watched it on MSNBC. But now you can watch <laughs> right. curling any time of day, just any time at all. It's fantastic. They've got all of their different feeds on their various channels, but also available through Hulu and on their website. So you can just kind of click around and select as you please. Or if you are like me and at your desk at work, you have two monitors on your computer. You can just have one of the monitors, the monitor that you're working on, and the other monitor, just eight hours of luge. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I was watching a lot of luge and ski jumping today. <laughs> Last night, as I was uh, reading reading a bit of Oathbringer, the third of those Stormlight books. Oh, I, yeah. I had the Olympics on and turned down and was just watching some mixed doubles curling, which was great. Yeah, and then there was some, an American mixed skating. doubles team that were uh, siblings. I think they're out of the competition now, but they were very fun to watch. <laughs> I don't know when we as a, not just a, a nation, I think we as a world decided that curling was like our kitschy fun sport, but I'm kind of glad g- we did. It is fun. I genuinely think it was the advent of um, streaming Olympics coverage. Because yeah, now there's be just true. a button that you can click where you watch curling, whereas before you never saw it. Here's a weird Unless thing. you were in Canada. I think this was NBC. I was talking to friend of the show Brian about this this morning. After last year's Olympics, curling had a little bit of a minute. I don't remember why. It might have been because streaming was starting up. But NBC did like an eight-week run of Saturday night curling. Really? Yeah, I don't know if they did it in other seasons, and I just didn't follow up. Uh, but for eight weeks on Saturday nights, I watched like Canadian local curling competitions on NBC. <laughs> it was fantastic. There are a couple of other weird things that I I like about this year's Olympics. Um, I I get no end of delight out of the fact that since Russia as a nation was not allowed to enter the Olympics this year due to some, like, <laughs> yeah. doping scandal from the previous Winter Olympics. Right. Uh, but there are still, like, 125 Russian athletes in the Olympics. Yeah. They are competing as the Olympic athletes from Russia. They do not get a flag. They don't get a national anthem. And the really funny thing is that they don't get to wear, like, interesting-looking <laughs> uniforms. Right. Like, they, it is as though they're being punished by having to wear, like, sackcloth when they're <laughs> competing. Uh, like, the curling outfits are just, like, it's like a black polo shirt with a name tag, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is, like, and every time that you hear the announcers have to do, like, verbal gymnastics... To try to avoid saying, like, Russia is doing X. Right, right. It's going to be very interesting for hockey. Oh, yeah. Well, 
Hockey's going to be real weird altogether this year because no NHL players are playing. Right. And outside of the NHL, the best league in the world is the Russian Super League, the KHL. Mm -hmm. So they're still fielding a very professional hockey team, whereas most of, I mean, you know, Czechoslovakia and some of the other countries have their own Super Leagues that are of, of varying degrees of talent. But Russia's fielding still a very legitimate team. They don't have Evgeny Malkin or uh, uh, Alexander Ovechkin, but they're still fielding a very good team. So they're they're the hands-on favorites. They can't... I like hockey. I don't want to waste a lot of time in this start <laughs> talking about hockey. But Russia... The only thing I was thinking about was I was tickled by the idea that there could still be a Czechoslovakian league, despite the fact that Czechoslovakia <laughs> hasn't existed in 20 years. Yeah, I probably <laughs> said the wrong thing there. There was a Czech Super League, I believe. I can't remember what it's called now. But uh, uh, that That is one of those countries that does not exist and will never stop being in my brain. <laughs> yeah, because it was there when we had maps in like second grade or whatever. Yeah, when they were drilling me on maps, right. that's what was on them. But anyway, Russia has been, talent-wise, probably second only to Canada, maybe even a coin flip, for the last three or four Olympics, basically since the rest of the world started playing pros. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Russia used to be this dominating monster in hockey. The last three or so Winter Olympics, they they, they could have on paper been the best, or at least the second best behind Canada. They've barely managed to steal, like, one bronze across those. They just, they've underperformed very, very badly. So this Yeah, I was going to say, I know in Vancouver, uh, the gold medal game was U.S.-Canada. Right. So this year, Russia fielding far and away the best team because the NHL isn't playing this time may actually manage to win it, except for it can't be credited to Russia. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, the Olympics are great, and it's all—it's—it's it's stuff like that. It's watching sports you never get to see. It is the sort of pageantry that you normally only get in professional wrestling. Um, I love it, and I'm very excited to pretty much as soon as we are done recording this, I'm going to go back into the other room in my apartment and watch more Olympics all night. Well, that's what. Yeah, same. I mean, I'm not going to another room in my house because I'm going to just start editing this podcast and then mute the Olympics on the second screen on my home <laughs> computer and watch some Olympics while I do. Uh, So, Mark, what is our second Star of the Week? This is a short one, which I guess can maybe make up for the 10 minutes we spent on the (laughs) Olympics. But it's a significant one to me, and that is this week, uh, Saturday, so just like two days ago, I had a piano delivered to my home. Oh, nice. It's the first time I am uh, 35 years old. Mm-hmm. It is the first time since I finished college and moved out of my parents' house that I've had an actual piano in my house. So I've made do with, you know, like little keyboards, portable keyboards and the like. But I've never had more than, I think, 44 keys at a time. And I'm uh-huh. very, very excited. The new house that we're in is larger. The living room has a lot more space. So we had a piano brought in and I can actually sit down at a real piano and maybe remember how to play the piano again. (laughs) (laughs) That is very exciting. I know when I was growing up, I've never played the piano, but uh, we had a harpsichord in our house. And it was one of those things that like we knew somebody who had a harpsichord who just like wanted it out of their house. Not because they didn't like it, but because it it needed some repairs. But, like, sure. just having a harpsichord in your house is a pain in the neck. 
And so we're like, aha, we will move that to our house. And then it sat unrepaired for maybe eight years. And then it moved on to somebody else's house. No one ever, like, paid to have it, like, moved from one place to another. It just ended up in the back of a truck and got traded around. (laughs) Well, that is the thing about playing the piano. There used to be a lot more people that played the piano than there are now. So it's not actually hard to acquire a piano. There are a lot of people with a piano in their house that is basically just like a family legacy piece that takes up a lot of room in your living room. Oh, yeah. My goal was I want to be able to. So I took piano lessons for the better part of a decade. I haven't played consistently in a long time, but my goal is to be able to basically like I want to be able to play Christmas carols when we have a a Christmas party. Like I want to have a Christmas dinner and then have everyone gather around the piano for carols. That's pretty much it. Yeah, and plus that gives you a full year to, like, get back into the swing of things. Exactly, yeah. Right on. Well, very cool. What is uh, what is star number three this week, Matt? Uh, star number three is uh, another sort of international competition, a little different <laughs> than the Olympics. Um, on a couple of days ago, on Saturday, a buddy of mine had a birthday party. On piano for- day? I- <laughs> yes. The internationally recognized holiday. Um <laughs> So on his birthday slash piano day, uh, we got together at his place and we played Axis and Allies. Oh, man. And when I say Axis and Allies, you might be thinking of one version of this game. Sure. Um, But there is, like, you know, like, it's a board. You've got the people. It's cool. Right. But the... I just realized that what I just said was the most vague and useless <laughs> description of any board game of all time. You, you just have described the board, it's got some people, and it's cool. Um, no, here, here's what I'm trying to uh, offer distinction on. There are new versions of Axis and Allies, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, if you are unfamiliar with it, a board game about World War II. Like you, you know, one person plays Germany, one person plays the U.S., one person plays the U.K., that sort of thing. I think it's fair to say it's one of the more significant board games. Yeah. Because we live now in this crazy board game renaissance, but during the long, dry era where board games were basically like snakes and ladders and Candyland... It yeah, was BC, out before on the Catan. front line. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Axis and Allies was out on the front lines doing complex stuff. Yeah, so Axis and Allies, now that we are in this board game renaissance, is doing even more complex stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it's broken. it is now broken up into two separate games, the Atlantic Theater and the Pacific Theater, nice. both of which are about twice the size of the original game. But <laughs> you can also put, like, they're compatible with, compatible rather with each other, so Ooh. you can push both of these games together. It's like four boards that are <laughs> like comprise an entire world map that you need to like make sure you have a large enough table in your house to play on. That's amazing. And the game, like we played it literally. I showed up to this guy's house at like nine thirty in the morning. Other people were sort of trailing in around like ten, ten thirty. We probably started okay. playing in earnest around eleven, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and our side uh, conceded the game. I think around 10 p.m. Wow. And like, and we only conceded because at that point we we were trying to look a couple of turns ahead and didn't see a way to win the game. And but it if was we 10 had, p.m. Yeah, like, and if, but if we had wanted to slug it out, we could have played that long again the next day. Like, wow. it is a massive game with 
And like, if you really get, if you were the sort of person who gets into like war games or World War II history, there's right. a lot of really interesting stuff in there. Like, yeah, you were describing it just a little bit to me via email earlier today, and it was hitting all of my history major buttons. Oh yeah, like there's no, you know, like there's all the major powers, but then also there's just Chinese resistance fighters, <laughs> and there are like special rules for Chinese resistance fighters, wow. and like. You know, they really are in there, like, slugging it out with Japan, slowing them down as they're attacking the <laughs> eastern section of the UK team that's centered in India. And then you've got, like, Anzac, the Australia-New Zealand armies, uh, like, down in, well, Australia and New Zealand, just, like, floating around in the South Pacific. It's And there's a lot of, like, political stuff where, like, Germany and Russia don't start off the game at war with each other because mm. there's the Molotov Ribbentrop like not aggression pact. Wow, it's, that's great. Like, I mean, listen, I, I I fear that I am in danger of doing what you did with hockey with World War II history here. <laughs> um, but uh, suffice to say, it was a really fun time. We did not win the game, um, uh, which was pretty sad. Apparently, the UK will sometimes surrender. <laughs> um. But yeah, it's super fun. If you have that sounds like, amazing. If you have six friends and three days and really like <laughs> playing games about World War Two, give it a shot sometime. Uh, now, Mark, what is our fourth star of the week? Short and sweet. Our fourth star of the week is a series of books, and I'm going to say this. I'll ask you to bear with me. Called the Number One Ladies Detective Agency. Now, I am familiar with this series because I used to work at a bookstore, but I've never read any of them. There, so I've been doing this thing, which you know, I'm trying to read a bunch of books this year. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a, a personal project I've been working on. Uh, and because I, one of the rules is they have to be new books. And because I am not made of money, I cannot purchase 100 new books in, sure, a, in sure. a calendar year. So I've been shopping a lot of used bookstores, but also like the clearance racks of Barnes and Noble and Books a Million, that sort of thing. Yeah. I've bought a number of books new because I think it's it's important to support authors you like by buying them new instead of secondhand where you can. Uh huh. But I've but I've hit so they. But had, you can't do that a hundred times, <laughs> right? So I forget which store it was in, but they had a like a marked down box set of the first six books of the Number One Ladies Detective Agency. And frankly, at this point, I'm just looking for volume. So six books for twelve <laughs> bucks. <laughs> But it turns out they're really good. They're written by, I think, a British guy named Alexander McCall Smith. They're about mm -hmm. a ladies' detective agency in Botswana, modern-day Botswana. And oh, it's just... modern-day. You know, for some reason, I always thought it was set back in, like, the 30s or something. There's a little chunk of the first book that is. So if you ever just, like, picked up and looked at the first book, the first couple of chapters are. That may be where you got that impression. Ah, Okay. But they're basically just like they're a good detective story meshed with like the small world optimistic charm of Anne of Green Gables. Okay. And they're just like they're comfort books. They're they're not, you know, they're 250 pages, maybe very easy reads. I can knock one out in a day, but they're just really fun and charming. So they're like James Harriet books if he was trying to like solve a murder instead of like help a cow. Yes, except yeah, exactly. Except for murder, that's too high profile for the number one ladies detective. Agency. Oh, okay. They what direct sort of they crimes? direct those to the police. So, what sort of crimes do they solve? Uh infidelity is not uncommon. Okay. Uh, the occasional like missing family members, that sort of thing. 
Okay, okay. I can dig it. So it's just, just like personal detective work. I am... If there is not already like a like BBC series of this, I am genuinely surprised. I think there was. I, I, uh, and I, I, I'm not sure if it was the BBC or one of the other like lower British channels, but mm-hmm. I do believe they did two seasons of that of this okay. show at some point. Because that sounds perfect for British television. Yeah, I'll have like to look it up. Low and get stakes, back to you. pleasant mysteries. That's one hundred percent what it is. It's like it. It's kind of like a more friendly Doc Martin. Okay. <laughs> anyway, what's number five star as we plow on into our 22nd minute? Uh, number five star, this is another short one, mercifully, uh, is Movie Pass. I just got a Movie Pass, Mark. That, I, every time I hear about Movie Pass, I think I should buy that thing, and I never do, but I love movies, and I always think I should. Okay, here's the thing is that, okay, if you're not familiar with Movie Pass, uh, you. Through some complicated thing I'm not going to bother explaining, you pay $10 a month to the MoviePass organization, and you are able to go to a movie theater every day and watch a movie. One a day, Um, right? One a day. And the thing is, there is no way in which they are making money on this. Like, this is not sustainable unless they are able to, like, really turn a corner on something. Yeah, there's some venture capitalism going on there, some projected profits, things like that. Absolutely. So I love going to the movies just as like a thing to do in an yeah, evening. I'm with you. Um, and I like I feel like there's no way that this movie pass thing is sustainable, <laughs> and so I want to get in on it now so I can have like a beautiful golden period. Yeah. of just seeing a ton of movies again because I used to do that all the time in high school, but that's been because in high school movies were five dollars. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is because I'm old, but you know. Uh, like, there are tons of movies that I saw in high school that were not... that They were the sort of things I would have never seen now, because now I only go to the movie theater if I have, like, a plan and a group of three people yeah. or more. Whereas before, like, yeah, you just go to the movies, and sometimes the one you wanted to see was sold out, and you see Remember the Titans, even though you don't really <laughs> like football movies. I, I had the exact same high school experience, and in fact, on my wall in my recording studio, right beside my desk, there's a corkboard, you know, of the type where you, like pin up pictures of, oh, yeah. of your vacations and that sort of... One of the things I have pinned up is a ticket stub from July 3rd, 1999 for the Wild Wild West. Oh, I love the Wild Wild West. That's on Netflix right now. The cost of that ticket, $3.25. <laughs> or I remember like in college, there was, a, there was a local theater in Grove City that was... It was like $2 or something. Something like... It was cheap, yeah. And it only had one screen, so like, if you wanted to go to the movie, you just saw what movie they were playing, <laughs> right. which was sometimes good. Yeah, I saw. Uh, of all strange things, I saw Shanghai Nights at that I, movie I, theater. I know you did. I was there with you. That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, good movie. Anyway, speaking of good and fun things to watch, uh, it is time now for us to watch episode three of Live Man, Ablar's Devilish Transformation. Uh, we're going to go check that out, and we will be right back. All right, welcome back. So we have just finished watching episode three of Choju Sentai Live Man, which I looked up during the break. Um, <laughs> and dudes, Live Man, still good. Still so good. Also, Live Man is still not messing around. No, not even a little bit. It's I, I've gotten a little soft because O-Ranger started, started off very raw, 
And right. then, you know, like nine, ten episodes in, really took a turn towards like the goofy. Right. Um, but if Live Man ever does that, it has not done it yet. <laughs> we, we open up in this episode on outer space, which I know we do every episode because that's where Professor Bias lives. But I always love a good outer space cold open. Yeah, and their they're like space station satellite has a very good evil look to it. It does. And the first thing we get in this episode is Professor Bias, who you may recall was the, like the lead bad guy, the number one bad guy, is talking to one of his three generals, who also were the three previous schoolmates of the live men, about this general's basically bad science experiment on himself. Yeah, see, I really like this because uh, Professor Bias is called Professor Bias, but I did not realize until this episode that his relationship with the three, like, former evil students, like, he is their professor. Like, yeah, this dude, Go, um, who is, like, the third guy of the three, you know, like, there's the main dude of the three uh, ex-former students. And then there's the uh, woman who is made out of guns. And then there's the third guy who we don't really have much on, who has like a big floppy bow tie. That's good. Yeah. He very briefly in season one, or episode one rather, very briefly had a weird bat face that I tried to describe. And we get another look at that very briefly here. Um, But he has so far been the lesser of the big three, I think is fair to say. Yeah, so this dude, he has handed, like, basically, he's handed a binder with his thesis statement and, like, notes on what experiment he wants to run to Professor Bias. Yep. Like, and Bias is like, oh, okay, uh, let me take a look at your experiment. Okay, yes, this is good. In fact, this is necessary to show how powerful the Brain Army Volt is. Like, this is a wonderful experiment. I see that you are the subject of it, so you got to be very confident. <laughs> yeah. That never ends poorly. No, not even a little bit. (laughs) I do. So the structure of Live Man, I have watched just a little bit ahead because I really like Live Man. Okay. Is is basically going to be this for a while. Now, they're not always experimenting on themselves, but he really like the professor thing continues to be a major plot point. And all of the like the monster of the week guys are experiments of one of the big three, of Dr. Kemp, of Dr. Mazenda, or Dr. Oblar. So that's kind of our... Oh. Our hook oh, for I, how the monsters I really are being like created. That. Yeah, it's really cool. So this week is Dr. Oblar, whose human name is Go. Yes, which is not to be confused with Joe, who is the Yellow <laughs> Ranger. <laughs> right. They will spend a good bit of time yelling at each other later, and it gets a little complex. <laughs> yes. Um, so Professor Bias is excited because this is going to show Live Man just how pitiful humans are. And then he, he very, like, gently grabs a hold of Go's face and is like, this is the last time that I will ever see this face. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. And it cuts to, and that's when it cuts to the, the title card of the episode, which is, of course, Oblar's Devilish Transformation. Or Oblar's demon transformation, or Oblar's monster transformation, sure. depending on which bad fan sub you're watching. Because <laughs> uh, sadly, Live Man is from like before the 
time period cutoff that Shout Factory has been translating and putting yeah. on DVDs. So it's kind of a crapshoot what you can find out there. It sure is. <laughs> on the back end of the title card, we have, I think just two, but we have a short sequence of normal everyday Japanese teenagers getting attacked by our monster of the week. Yes. Now, I was unable to decipher this thing's name because when they pulled up the like the actual name card on top of this dude, the light like the writing was in white, but there was also like a flash of lightning in that same moment. Yes. And I kept trying to pause it to write down the name, but I could never quite get it. I'll give you the easy way out. His translated name is Virus Brain. Okay, that's a lot easier. So a lot uh, of the brain monsters are going, like like Sentai shows do, they're going to have names in the formula of, you know, X name brain. This guy is Virus Brain. Okay, so Virus Brain is, he's sort of walking around and sloshing autoblade. <laughs> yeah. He's, like he's, he's got a like bunch he of, like, just water bottles. Uh, he has these little, like, reservoirs of, like, this green, gunky liquid. But they do genuinely just look like disposable water bottles that someone turned upside down and yes, like they do. hot glued into this thing's uh costume. He is the lowest rent bane. <laughs> <laughs> Just got that terrible, terrible venom. <laughs> yeah. And what he's uh. doing is just like strolling around Japan injecting unsuspecting teenagers with this Gatorade venom. Yeah, and I don't the, the weird thing about this is that this is just an experimental phase of his project. Like yeah. Go slash Oblar does ha- not have any need for these teenagers to be infected. That's not part of a greater plan. He just wants to see how it works before he does it to himself. I think what makes this episode very interesting is that Virus Brain is sort of the B villain of this episode, even though he's the monster of the week. Mm-hmm. This is much more a story about Go or Dr. Oblar than it is about Virus Brain. Yeah, it's, it is. I mean, we're using the name sort of interchangeably. This episode is more or less the episode about Go completing his transformation into Oblar. Yes, yeah. Both, like, physically and mentally. As far as most of the episode is concerned, Virus Brain might as well just be, like, a device, a weapon, a gun that that someone is shooting people, is is using to put the virus into people's veins. He's really, like, he's a non-entity for most of the episode, other than to shoot people up. Yeah, I think the only reason that he is, like, a separate character is they needed to have someone to get murdered by a giant robot at the end of the episode. Yeah, I think you're right about, about that. Um, w- one of the two teenagers that Virus Brain attacks is a guy who is a boxer who's just, like, out for, a like, a box boxing jogging exercise. Yeah. The sort of, you know, like, he's jogging and he's shadow boxing in the park and stuff like that. Sure. So Virus Brain comes up to, you know, get him with the viruses, and he does, but before he's able to, like, really fully take him out, <laughs> this dude, who's just some random guy, uh-huh. picks up a park bench and breaks it over Virus Brain's <laughs> it's head. Amazing. It's so good. It's, it's not even, like, he picks it up, 
but he wields it as though it weighs nothing. This dude is a real strong man. Yeah, like I you kind of want to know how, like, what this dude's story is. I do. He's great. I know we have room for two more live men on this team. I kind of wish it was this guy. <laughs> Maybe it is. Who knows? So he, as well as the girl who was the first experiment, what we learn basically is it just it starts to mutate them. Kind of low-level mutation right now. It just looks like an over-aggressive hemangioma on the side of their face. Mm-hmm. I well, say mm-hmm as though I know what that means. <laughs> a hemangioma is that, like, it looks kind of like a lifted rash. It's like blood that's kind of near the skin. My daughter had one when she was born. It took a few years to fade. Oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, it's so it's just, it's a mutant gene. It's designed to mutate people. It doesn't, we don't really, that I remember, we don't see either of these two getting mutated beyond like a little patch on their cheek. Yeah. But I guess uh, that's why we have test subjects. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the live men are able to, they get, they get like a good laser shot off on Virus Brain as Virus Brain retreats. Yeah, they were just um, out motorcycling around and happened to yeah. be nearby. Um, so they're able to collect some of this like green guck. And yes. figure out what it is. And as they're looking at it and trying to figure out what the deal is, um, what's his name? Yusuke, the Red Ranger? Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember I had this conversation with Go two years ago <laughs> when I was, like, training in the gym and he happened to walk past. And they go into the most insane conversation. <laughs> okay, so in this flashback, Yusuke is just, like, on a weight machine you know doing some training yeah, pumping some iron getting his gym time in and go walks past wearing like his velvet jacket with tails and big floppy yeah. white bow tie his cool boy outfit sure and yusuke says hey go how you doing like you should train with me you know lift some weights you know get into shape in like, the that's way a cool that, thing. In the way that all jocks do which is seeing anyone who is not a jock and saying your life would be better if you were also being a jock Right. No judgment. That's fine. Like, you should take care of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, but, like, Go does not see it this way. And he goes into a straight-up supervillain speech. <laughs> Which makes sense amazing. now, but when you... Like, this was before they had joined the Brain Army Vault. They were just classmates. This was just fact, his school buddy. Yeah, and the fact that Yusuke hears Go say this and does not immediately think, like, oh, I should tell the prof like the principal... Like, my classmate Go is clearly a murderer, or, like, so, about to be a murderer. So, so Yusuke, Yusuke is telling him, basically, hey, you should take care of your body. And Go says, yeah, exercise is for suckers. I believe, and I think I have unlocked the secret to, a virus that, that I'll just be able to inject in my body and make myself awesome without and any will, of that garbage exercise. And I will show you that your bodies are worthless and like yeah. the, Human the bodies true... are pitiful. Yeah, so like I have the true power and I'll prove it to you someday. Someday. Yeah, he's basically like he's more or less has his fingers steepled up in front of his nose. Yeah. And in this moment, Yusuke is like, oh, uh, alright, I guess I'm gonna go back to working out. You have fun with your virus thing. <laughs> Never to think of it again until two years later when he's standing in a strange underwater 
robot base. Robot turtle base. Robot turtle base, yeah. With that, with the... So one thing I didn't realize, I stuttered a little bit there coming to mm-hmm. this idea, is that their their robot pal, their robot sidekick for this episode, Colin, mm-hmm. is like a crazy science robot herself. Like so she is a scientist, she, you mean? Yeah, she's not just like a helpful button pusher. She's analyzing this goo. She is already talking about how she can retro engineer a cure from it. Oh, yeah. That is a very good point. This is a very well-programmed robot. Yeah, this robot is on top of it, which I think was really only just thrown in there so they could say, don't worry about those two kids from earlier. (laughs) They're not going to show up again. You don't have to worry about them. Right. We only paid them for the afternoon, so we're not going to do a second shot of them, but they'll be fine. Now, this is what happens next is my favorite thing in this whole episode. Which is they say, we, they, they agree, the, the three live men agree that they need to go look for Go and stop him from doing this. Yeah. So to search for him, they just run out into the middle of the woods. <laughs> and find him. And it works. They, so I spend a lot of time talking about the Hercules, the Legendary Adventures television program. Mm-hmm. This is basically Hercules' move. This is what he does. When he needs something to happen, he just walks out into the middle of the woods and waits for that thing to happen. And it just always does? It does. And I, Like, there is all of Japan. <laughs> and they just run out into the middle of the woods. And sure enough, they hear Go essentially, like, crying out in pain. Yeah, because he has found... Go has either found or set up a laboratory... In, like, a rented office space in the middle of the woods. <laughs> yeah. And the the three live men run in, and they see that Go has gotten himself, like, plugged into the syringe stuff coming off of Virus Brain. And is shouting, yes, infect me more. <laughs> um, and, like, he's not transforming yet, but he definitely is beginning to, like, show signs of whatever infection it is. Yeah, it's it's starting to take hold. I'm going to correct myself. A minute ago, I said my favorite thing was running out into the woods. That's not quite true. There's an even uh-huh. better thing coming up soon, but we'll get there. <laughs> so they, they see him kind of thrashing around very clearly in pain, but also very clearly in like a state of heightened awareness and pleasure. He's excited about what's going on. Mm hmm. Well, listen, he he has decided that he wants the ultimate body and is willing to lose his humanity for it. Right. So when they show up, Virus Brain blasts the live men, and then those are uh, uh, the putties, Jimmers. The Jimmers show up. And they're, they're all sort of fighting in this lab until eventually Joe is just, like, chucked out a window. Yep. He just blasted out a window. Uh, and he falls down the hill for a while, for like a good long while. This thing is like <laughs> right on the top of a pretty tall hill. The perspective of how this forest works is very vexing to me because people are constantly falling off of hills and cliffs in this episode. Right. They never seem to be going back up a cliff, no. but they are always falling off of one. Uh, when Joe gets to the bottom of the hill, almost happenstantially, he lands on the inert body of Go, who has at some point in the fight apparently also gotten thrown out the window. I completely missed this. I, I think he sort of stumbled out himself when the fight started, maybe? I don't so know. It, 
But when he does this, Go looks at Joe and says, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so infected. You have to help me, please. Yep. Like, things are pretty bad for me right now. Yes. He is He is begging for mercy, effectively. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. you would not think that Joe would be willing to help him because, sure. as we know, uh, Go, especially as his form of Oblar, uh, definitely did murder, like, a bunch of people that Joe knows. Yes, including two of his very best friends, even before he professor. was Oblar. Oh, and, yeah. yeah, that's right. And Professor Hitoshi. Like, two days ago. <laughs> yeah. But Joe is strangely moved to help. He picks him up, slings him over his shoulder... And a minute later, uh, Suke and Megumi catch up. Yasuki and Mizumi catch up. And yeah, Joe <laughs> offers his explanation, which is my actual favorite thing in this episode. Yes. He, is, he's, he saved a drowning puppy at the beach. Yes, and that is why Joe is willing to help him. It is like he saw him do that, and he's like, okay, like, for the rest of time, like, this is the moment that has imprinted on me with this dude. So even though I know he is, like, actually a murderer. <laughs> An actual human murderer. I saw him save a drowning puppy. Oh, and he didn't even succeed in saving a drowning puppy. Like, <laughs> Go ran into the water to try to save this drowning puppy, but Go couldn't swim. Like, he, he <laughs> right. was so, like, into the moment of trying to save this puppy that he forgot he couldn't swim. So he ran out and started to drown, and then Joe had to go out and save him and the puppy. And it is an extended flashback scene. We spend a minute on this beach. Yeah, like, we cut to later that night when Joe yep. is, like, drying out his clothes on a line over a campfire. <laughs> yeah. And it's just this amazing scene of this dude thrashing around in the ocean. Not, not like he stumbled into some river or something in the actual ocean just waving a small puppy above his head as he's getting knocked <laughs> about by the waves um yusuke thinks that this is the stupidest thing in the world he's like dude do you not remember the name of our first episode which was friends why have you sold your souls to the devil <laughs> yes. like this dude is gone he is way far gone you cannot bring him back but joe is unwilling to listen to this yeah yeah, in fact, in a minute, more of those jimmers will show up. And while Isuke and Megami stick around to fight them, Joe just runs off with his best friend slash enemies slung over his shoulder. <laughs> kind of, yeah, not fireman carry, potato sack. Potato sack carrying him into the woods. That only lasts about 30 seconds before he trips and drops him down yet another hill. <laughs> He runs over to him and says, like, oh, my gosh, go. Like, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? And Go says, oh, I'm so thirsty. Please go get me water. <laughs> and Joe is like, oh, cool. There's a stream over there. I'll just go get you some water. And I am at this point thinking, how is he just going to collect water? I had that same thought. In fact, I imagined him. This is what I expected. I've watched a lot of these shows. I imagined him, like, cupping his hands together and trying to run back with a cupped handful of water. Like yep, that is also what I was thinking. No. Uh, what in fact happens is he finds like an empty and hopefully mostly clean like tuna can. <laughs> With the serrated lid still on. Oh, yeah. And it's like the worst kind of can to try to carry water in because it's like very it's wide and flat as opposed to deep. Like, yeah. 
when he's rushing back with this water, but while he is rushing back, Go is starting to chuckle to himself, and he is affecting his change <laughs> yeah. into the sort of monstrous form we saw in the first episode. Yes, and at this point, the entire cast of this show just suddenly shows up in the middle of these woods. Right, not just the other live men, but also the other two, like, evil generals. Yeah, and in a minute we will see also Gardnoy Gash. Yeah, who's just sort of floating around. Just hanging out. So, so Go has finalized his transformation into Monster Oblar. Oblar. There's a brief intermediate step where he looks like he did in the first episode so you might remember uh beautiful beast kemp or machine mazenda being the alternate kind of monster bad guy forms of his buddies Mm -hmm. he briefly stops at that step and then ratchets it up and suddenly monster oblar isn't just this weird bat boy looking thing but he's a full-on rubber suit creepy guy Oh, yeah, he is, and you know, like, it's not the best rubber suit creepy guy costume, but you can yeah. tell, like, this is a look. And the transformation this guy is never going is, back. is pretty solid. The transformation scene, for, for being a 70s television program, mm-hmm. it's a pretty solid transformation scene. Oh, yeah. Um, and he, he turns then to um, uh, Dr. Kemp and Dr. Mazenda? Mazenda, yeah. Uh, and it's like, hey, uh, you transform into the beautiful beast, and you transform into, like, a gun lady, but both of you basically still have the shape of humans. Yeah. And that sucks. You because are not we, committed enough. Right. Like, we are here to destroy humanity. Why would you bother to still wear their shape? I have transcended humanity, and now I'm a goofy monster. <laughs> he declares himself the greatest genius. He does do that. That is 100% true. And Joe makes, like, one last effort to appeal to his friend and just gets backhanded across half the scenery. Yeah, and then he turns to him and says, you are no, you are no longer Go or a friend or anyone else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you, are, you have run out of identities. Now you are just this thing that I have to shoot with a laser. And now, finally, it is henshin time. Yes. Very um, late in the episode, actually. Yeah, pretty late. There's been a lot of fighting in this episode, but not a lot of, like, transformed fighting. Which, right. actually, in the early episodes, does that tracks in other yeah, seasons as that, well. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the, the fight's going pretty well. Joe does definitely get knocked off a cliff once or twice. Uh, happens, but he yep. is fighting Oblar while the other two are fighting the Jibblers, you were calling them? Jimmers, I think. Jimmers. Which I know just sounds like your southern redneck cousin. <laughs> but there you have it. Um, they are all doing this. Um, we learned that uh, Oblar can heal like Wolverine. Yep. Oh, yeah. I, I have it in my notes as a healing factor, which is, as of <laughs> yeah. course we all know, what Wolverine does. <laughs> you know, the opposite of Omega Red's mutant death factor. <laughs> right. And eventually, Virus Brain just kind of strolls his way back into the fight. Yeah, and now they have, like, an actual target that they can aim all their cool weapons at. So they summon the Biomotion Buster, yeah. which, if you remember, is, like, their giant cannon. Um, and in the sort of 
a sort of hilariously old special effects zap him with a laser. <laughs> yeah. uh, he goes down. The Gardenoid gas shows back up to uh, make him grow with the the Giga Phantom Cannon. Yeah. Oh, dude, Gardenoid Gash and his Giga Phantom Cannon. <laughs> it's a Gardenoid Gash is a cool looking dude. I don't know he why really that is. dumb robot face works, but it does. I wonder if he's ever going to be a character in this show or if he's just, like, the dude who carries the Giga Phantom Cannon. I think his official job is he is Professor Bias's bodyguard, robot oh, bodyguard. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But he I shows wonder... up with Giga Phantom and he makes uh, Virus Brain grow giant-sized. Yes. Uh, we, we, we cut back to Grand Taurus or Tordos. Or yep. whatever the thing's called. The the base. The, the the floating turtle base. Right. Where Cullen is some is launching out some machines to go help them. And Mark, I don't know what the translation you were watching said, but when she want, launched that thing, she said that she was launching the machine buffalo in That's my translation. I and I yes, don't she... know how that could possibly be true. <laughs> I have no idea. It's just like it's a it's like a heavy armored transport vehicle. Yeah, it looks sort of like a really chunky, like a uh, space shuttle, sort of. Yeah, that yeah. opens up and it has all of the other like robots in it. So it's got Jet Falcon and Aqua Dolphin and Land Lion. It 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 looks not unlike a slightly more colorful Jawa Sandcrawler. Yeah, with like little tiny wings on it. Yes, yeah. And what I found interesting about this, and surely this has happened before and I just didn't put it together, the live men don't summon their ships. They are deployed by the robot back on the floating island base who is monitoring the situation via like audio and vital signs in the suits and things. Which is very cool. I think that is a cool role for Colin to have. Yeah, I like it. Uh, those things immediately combine into Live Robo, who is a very cool-looking robot. Got a big I like lion Live chest. Robo. Uh, one of the things I like about Live Robo is that he has a giant laser pistol. <laughs> yeah. Which I love it when something that is very big has an accessory that is relatively small. Right. Because like, of co- that means that there's like a one-handed laser pistol that is the size of like... You know, a train car or something, <laughs> but it's got like this little trigger on it. It's very good. It is. It's a good look. And he, of course, has the super live crush, which is his finishing move. Mm-hmm. Because all, all Sentai robots must destroy things with that giant sword. That Yep, that's what you do. I love it. Love and it every time. Consistent with the early going of the Sentai shows, by the time Live Robo shows up, there's not a lot of... Uh, options here there's not a lot of variation Mm -hmm. live robo shows up shoots the pistol does the sword hit and and we're kind of out yeah which you know that's fine we've already gotten enough out of like virus brain was not really gonna give us like a really (laughs) fascinating fight yeah that's not what he was here for anyway he's mostly here to be a transporter for some insane uh mutant virus yeah, and also he's just here to take the L so Oblar can get away. <laughs> right. 
Uh, which he does. So, like, when, when we are done with this, uh, Ablar and the other two generals have gone back up to space to uh, rejoin the Professor Bias. And our three live men are back on Earth, uh, not transformed anymore. And Joe is so frustrated that he is kicking cans into a local reservoir. Yeah, yep. Standing on, like, the top of a reservoir bridge, literally kicking an aluminum can into the water. A lot of a lot of just aluminum cans sitting around in this episode. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame he couldn't have found one of those when he needed to transport a drink. Yeah, I know, right? Um, and he's he's not just sad that Ablar like got away. He's really upset that Go is basically gone. You know, like and that he was wrong. You know, he really he believed in Go. He was willing to. So to go on on a limb for him and the fact that he was wrong about him, like very like it hurts him a lot. Yeah. And this is a hefty take home for a children's program because the so his buddies show up. Sugi and Meg show up and their take home isn't like, don't worry, we'll keep fighting for him. There's got to be some good in there somewhere. The lesson is we must forget the idea of saving them. Yeah, like, they are too far gone. And, like, sort of to put a point on this, uh, Yusuke picks up a rock and throws it, because the can that Joe had kicked into the reservoir was still kind of floating. Uh-huh. Uh, Yusuke picks up a rock and throws it at the can, and the can just sinks into the <laughs> reservoir. It is a very kind of maudlin, dour ending to this episode. Yeah, although I do think it's the sort of episode that they kind of had to do early on in a show like this. Because otherwise, there would always kind of be a thing in the back of your head like, didn't these guys go to school together? Like, yeah, shouldn't they, yeah. like, they shouldn't have given up on them this quickly. So it does make sense that they did this, but like, boy, it's a rough one, dudes. <laughs> and it ends with, I wrote in my notes, a cool bridge pose. So the fade out of this episode is the three of them on the side of the like the reservoir bridge, just kind of posed and looking pensive. And it's a very classic comic book shot. I know it's a live action show, but it's a very the scene they end on the last frame is a very classic comic book frame. I really dug it. Yeah, it is a it's a it's a it's a well shot scene in, in a well shot episode. Yeah, it was a very, I think, as the first two have been, just another really good entry, really solid episode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that is that is this episode of Live Man. Um, I continue to dig this show. Yeah, me too. I don't. I kind of don't have a lot other things to say about it. Um, and yeah. we're not we're not putting this uh, brain virus onto the creature royale because. Well, A, because he sucks, and B, because we're just uh, we're not putting these guys on. That would be too hard with differing hosts. Why the, why the Creature Royale works is you have the same two guys. My list would already be different from yours, so it would be impossible to insert this guy in there. We could do yeah. a real quick, like we used to, a real quick high points and low points, just so I can talk about that, that drowning puppy one more time. Oh, yeah, let's do it. So... Like I mentioned earlier, high point of the episode, definitely Drowning Puppy, but also just the idea that running out in, like, we need to find a guy. Where should we go? I don't know, the forest? 
I guess. Okay, here's what I love about this, because this would have been my high point, is that their plan is not to look for them. Their plan is to find him, and they do it immediately. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Like, Another... you just got to restructure how you're phrasing these things to <laughs> find success. That's the secret. You got to speak your truth to power, man. Yeah, just put it out in the universe, man. Another very brief high point is just Gardnoid Gash. He was only here for a second, but it was a great second. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know for low point. Uh, yeah, there wasn't much not to like. Not about much. Joe's weird idea to try to carry water inside a <laughs> like a can he found in the woods. That's a very good point. A an old serrated tin can that could be I our mean, low point. Joe is a scientist. He was at the science academy. <laughs> I think he's very smart. He should not be giving, like, tetanus water to a guy he is trying to rescue. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if if we have nothing else to say on that, then, uh, Mark, thank you again for uh, stepping in on this. Um, yeah, where can people find your other show? You can find us at Mount Olympus Pod, uh, Gmail, Twitter, Facebook. Or the easier way to do it, look up Retrograde Orbit Radio which I know you say later, at R-O-R, at R-O Radio on Twitter, or just the webpage. You'll see our show. You'll see this show, a couple other things we got kicking around. Spectre, which I don't know if you've talked about on this program yet, but Spectre, which is a great podcast that you are hosting. I am in love with that show. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got a new episode coming out uh, in the next week or so. Yeah, well, uh, Thursday. Did we drop that on Thursdays? I think that's right. I think so. That sounds about right. <laughs> uh, and with that, that I think is going to do it for another episode of You Only Live Man Twice. Um, a promise that apparently we have not kept because we have now live manned three times. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was worth it. Uh, before we finish up here, I would like to remind you all you can email the show at SuperSentaiBrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes and check out the things that we're talking about on Twitter, we are at SuperSentaiBros. If you like the show, please remember that shining in the iTunes reviews section, there are five stars. Please rate and review and subscribe on wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, That is what's going to help new people find their way to the show. If you would like to find our other shows, as Mark said earlier, you can find them all at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Buddies. I'm Matt. I'm Mark. And we'll see you next week for the greatest show on Earth. Yeah, you're mad!